Genesis 5 sets before us a kind of bittersweet genealogical record of the time spanning from Adam to Noah. It's bitter, of course, because behind each person's name is written, and he died. And a death at that time must have been astonishing, don't you think? Because so many people live to be 800, 900 years old. I was thinking this morning, when my mother died, she had 92 great-grandchildren, and she was 92 years old. And what a blow it was to let go of my mother and all these weeping grandchildren and great-grandchildren, as well as us children. It was phenomenal. Imagine someone like Adam dying, 930, or Methuselah. All the generations that came, all the mass of people related. And then, and he died. And he died after 900 years. Bitter. The sweet part, of course, of the genealogical record is that tucked away in the midst of all the and he dies is this amazing understatement. And Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. Simple language. And you read it and you go, what? I still remember the first time I really read this verse, Genesis 5.24. I was 17 years old. And I said, Lord, I want to I walk with thee. What is it to walk with God? What a glorious thing. What a beautiful, simple, profound text. So this morning, I want to just look at three things with you uh, under the title of Enoch's experiential intimacy with God. First, a man who walked with God. Second, a man who witnessed for God. And third, a man who went to God. Walked with God, witnessed for God, went to God. And he died, and God took him. What a contrast. As surely as godlessness came to its intensified, consecrated, concentrated expression in the seventh from Adam, the number of fullness, from the, through the line of Cain, in the person of Lamech, so in the seventh from Adam, in the godly line, the line of Seth, was Enoch. And godliness came to its intensified, concentrated expression in this man who received abundant grace from God. He walked with God. Now, what does that mean to walk with God? Well, this expression is actually only used four times in the Bible, twice of Enoch. It's also used of Noah in Genesis 6-9. And then it's used in Malachi 2-6, describing the ideal high priest. He walked with me. Now, there are parallel terms. Abraham walked before God, but walked with God, walked with God. It's the ideal priest, it's Enoch, it's Noah, but it can also be you and me. If we have a close life with God, 
To walk with God in the first place means to walk by faith, a faith that delights in God. There's something about this expression, isn't there, that, that it means you delight to be in the company of God. You delight in the familiarity, the holy familiarity of being in the presence of God. I, I just love that. What Philip Melanchthon wrote after he overheard Martin Luther praying in secret. He, he came back and he wrote down this note. I just heard Master Martin pray. And oh God, with what holy familiarity and with what holy reverence did Master Martin pray. Holy familiarity of delight. That's it. That's walking with God. Many years ago now, I had a little niece sit on my lap, and she looked up at my face, and she said, Uncle Joe, I just love you. I said, well, that's, that's wonderful. Why do you love me? Hmm. I think it's because I'm familiar with you. <laughs> okay, that was kind of nice. Later, I thought about that. I'm familiar with you, and I love you. See, that's when you walk with God day after day, year after year, there's this sacred delight in God. You, 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 feel, like, you feel like Joseph Aline when he said, whenever I backslide the least little bit, I feel like I'm a bird out of my nest, and I'm not content until I'm back in my old familiar ways with God in the nest of his love. You know what it's like to, to come home after a long vacation, right? I mean, you are happy to walk through that door. You're at home. But you see, Psalm 90 speaks of being at home with God throughout the generations. To walk with God is to see yourself, know yourself walking with God and your children and your grandchildren, that they would be familiar with God. What a sacred, beautiful, glorious thing this is to delight in God, to be familiar with God, to, to walk with God by faith. But secondly, to walk with God is to walk in obedience, in obedience. It's, it's to live, a person who walks with God isn't just new, born again. But if you walk with God, you have a habitual lifestyle of intentional obedience. You get up in the morning and you pray, don't you? Lord, help me to walk with thee all throughout this day. Set a watch upon my lips. Set a watch upon my thoughts. Set a watch upon my actions. Help me to walk with thee in obedience. I want to obey thee. I want to be useful. I want to be fruitful. I want to be obedient. I want to be in the circle of thy will today. Can two walk together except they be agreed? I want to be agreed with thee, Lord, in, in everything. I want to amen thy ways. What a beautiful thing this is, to walk with Joyful, delightful, obedience. Paul calls it several places. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful phrase. The obedience of faith. Faith that walks with God bears fruit in obedience. And then, thirdly, to walk with God is to walk by faith not only and obedience not only, 
but also by, by witness, by witness. A kind of a witness of holiness that with my walk of life, I detest anything that would move me away from God. And I'm drawn to anything that would draw me closer to God. And then my life itself is a witness, you see. A witness of what it means to walk with God. I think of Daniel here. What a witness he was. Both in what he wouldn't do, Daniel 1.8, and what he would do. And I just need to ask myself, and I need to ask you, is this, is this your passion? I know none of us have arrived. We're all, we're all come short in all three of these fruits. But is this your passion? Is this your desire? Is there, is there something of these things in you? And, and you long for them to burn within you more and more, to walk by faith, to walk by obedience, to walk by holiness, to be Daniels, to be, to be Enoch's to be Noah's, to walk with God. Now, when we don't walk with God, we sin. And we don't have a holy familiarity with God. But we, well, John Owen put it this way. It's a powerful statement. He said, every sin that we knowingly commit, is a sign that we are growing weary of God. And what a tragedy that is. I don't want to grow weary of God in any way, shape, or form. Now, he would grow weary of me. That, that's understandable. But weary of God? Who's everything? As a triune God? Shame on me. Shame on me for sinning. Brothers, we need, brothers and sisters, we need to live daily, consciously, determined to kill sin, as Owen goes on to say, before it kills us. And to remember that this life is very short. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're on our way to walking with God perfectly one day in glory if we're saved. So let's emulate that as much as possible here in this life. Now, let me say just a quick word about the setting in which Enoch walked with God, because it's easy for us to say, oh, well, Enoch walked with God, but he lived in such a simpler day, such a simpler lifestyle. Actually, not so. We've got to remember two or three things here. First of all, Enoch walked with God in an age of relatively little spiritual light and little special revelation. He didn't even have the five books of Moses, much less the Old Testament and, and the New. He didn't have any of the means. He didn't have any of the books we have. And there's so few people that fear God, so few people he could talk to. So don't think it was easy for Enoch. He also lived in the midst of a society of increasing wickedness and moral degeneration. He walked with God in the midst of a society that was committing ungodly deeds and ungodly ways, Jude says. And yet he walked with God. And then he was living in the midst of the ordinary domestic privileges and pressures and joys and sorrows. 
he, he got married. He had kids. He, he knew all the pressures of having children, he, sons and daughters. He had at least four. Sons, plural, daughters, plural. And yet, all the days of Enoch, from the time he was 65, about the time he got married, about the time he had kids, it appears that he began to walk with God. It seems from the text that his beginning to walk with God coincided with the birth of Methuselah. And for 300 years, he begets sons and daughters. For 300 years, he walks with God in the midst of numerous children and all the pressures of society around him and the pressures of family in the home. What a way to live. It's a blessed way to live. And then what about the source? What gave him what he needed to walk with God? Well, of course, it's superabounding grace, isn't it? It's the great, the pure grace of God. None of us could walk with God without the Holy Spirit indwelling us and taking the things of Christ and revealing them to us and moving us to walk with God, opening up for us the beauty of walking with God. It's just pure, pure grace. Now, the man who witnessed for God, the other texts I read go on to show that Enoch just didn't walk with God. His walk was also a witness in all that he did. And Jude puts it this way. He prophesied. He was a prophet. He prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they've ungodly committed, of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So he didn't just bring them the gospel. He also brought those around him warning. He prophesied to them that if they continued on in these ungodly sins, it would, it would testify against them. That, that wasn't an easy easy walk of life. As a preacher, if you don't know it already, you, you will one day. You can preach a wonderful sermon about the comfort of God's people. And oh, you get so much joy out of comforting God's people. And you come home and you're just, you're not the least bit tired. People say, are you tired? You go, no, I'm more energetic than ever. It's wonderful. But boy, if you preach a sermon as entirely warning, take a warning text I don't know about you but I come home just absolutely exhausted absolutely exhausted Enoch is doing this regularly this isn't easy but he's determined to be a witness for God and the context of his witness is 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 a personal one because he knows that a lot of harm can come to the cause of Christ when our mouths and our warnings, as well as our gospel overtures, somehow contradict our lifestyle. He wants, he wants it to be all of one piece. He wants his, his, his whole life to be a seamless whole. He wants his walk, his witness to coincide. And, and that's what, that's what gives the ministry so much power when the minister walks his walk and talks his talk and, 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 and talks his walk and walks his talk. You know, when it works every old which way so that people look at him and say, there's a man of God. There's a man of God who walks with God. So we, we, we can take in what, what we hear from the pulpit without 
without having any negative things going through the sieve of our, of our mind. But also, Enoch is witnessing not just by the context of his personal witness, but the content, the content of his witness. He's, he's prophesying what God told him to prophesy. The origin of the witness of Enoch was the revelatory activity of God that he no doubt heard from, from Adam and from the descendants of Adam along the godly line. He's been trained, he's been molded by this godly seed, and it's become reality for him. And so he, he has one goal in life. He, he wants his life to be lived for the glory of God. So he wants to witness for God, and he wants sinners to come to this God and he's warning them, and he's bringing them the, the gospel as far as he knows, knows it. He's confronting the society of Lamech in all its wickedness. The society of Lamech, by the way, Luther called the church of the devil. And to preach to the church of the devil is not a very easy thing to do. But he walked with God. 300 years he did it. He's like, he's like Noah. This is his burden, you see. He's a witness because these things were, were upon him. You, you, you know, Psalm, I think it's 56, says, The vow of the Lord is upon me. When you study in this seminary and one day you become a minister, you, you, you will feel that profoundly. The vow of the Lord is upon me. I can do no otherwise. So help me God. I must prophesy. I must preach. I I must walk with God. There's, there's no wiggle room here to excuse myself in these, in these obligatory uh, imperatives that come to a minister of God. This is a, a whole way of life commitment. And then thirdly, the man went to be with God. This is the apex of it all. He went to be with God. He was like Elijah, but he didn't go up in a chariot fire. He didn't go up with a, a big show. He just, one day, was not. His wife and his kids said, where's dad? I don't, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe he's in his bedroom. No, no, he's not here. Where'd he go? Did he leave? Did he, why didn't he tell anybody he was going? Where is dad? He's gone. God took him. God. God took him. One old Puritan says, God could not endure the loaning of Enoch to this world any longer. He wanted him to be with him. Oh. If God could just say that of you and me. He wants us to be with him so badly. Last few years of my dad's life, he was so Christ-centered that I said to my brothers, I don't think dad will live long. And he didn't. He went to the great homecoming to be with Christ. Well, that's, that's what it was like with Enoch. For 300 years, he walked with God. And God, God took him. He was not found. He was not found. Interestingly, the Holy Spirit uses the word here, translated, translated. 
I work with books all the time, and we work with a lot of translations, and so this word has a lot of meaning to me. You translate from one language to another. You're still saying the same thing, but there's a translation going on, and now you're speaking to people who really understand it in their own language. And so I hope this isn't a stretch, but I, I like to think of it this way, that in that great day of transition, when we think the worst thing is happening to us, we're going to die. It's actually the best thing if we're a believer because we get translated into that environment where we no more have to struggle with sin, where all evil and all tears and all pain and all disappointment and all trials and my own wicked self, it's all done away. And I get to be with the Lord forever. I'm translated into a, a heavenly language, into a, an atmosphere that Jonathan Edwards called heaven, a world of pure love, total love. What a glorious experience. But it's not a jarring experience because it's a translation. I've begun to know that life here. But it's just so beautiful and glorious because it's perfect hereafter. And I can be ever focused upon the Lamb who sits upon the throne and gaze upon his face and worship him and serve him. How, I don't know, but I'll be sitting on thrones with him over what I don't know. But there'll be a beauty about that day, you see. God took him. He was translated. He was translated. No more did he have to preach warning messages. Now it was just all peace and joy and heavenly glory and beatific vision and ecstatic communion with God and with the saints. And now <laughs> everyone there is of the line of Enoch. They're all related to him. They're all his brothers and sisters in Christ. What a glorious, glorious, happy day this is when mortality, our mortality puts on immortality and our corruption in corruption and we will ever be with the Lord and every shadow will flee away. Well, let me conclude by saying this. Enoch's translation was a vivid display of God's glorious purpose in redemptive grace. A vivid display. God, yes, he decrees that now we must, we must die unless he comes on the cause. We're not going to be Enoch's unless he comes on the clouds before our death. We will die. To dust thou art, to dust thou shalt return. But that's only the beginning. The translation will come on the great day, the day of resurrection. And what a day that will be. And this vivid display is God's method of conferring redemptive grace to us in Christ. It all comes to us through God-given faith. Without faith, Hebrews 11, speaking of Enoch, says, it is impossible to please him. But God gives us the faith. God gives us the faith in Christ by which we may be saved through the double obedience of Jesus. And that's the secret of our walking with God. You can't look at that double obedience of passive obedience, passive coming from suffering, that suffering obedience of Jesus, suffering, dying for you, and the active obedience of him perfectly obeying the law for you. If, you. if you have faith in him, 
You don't just have faith in his person, but you have faith in his work. Both his person and work are one in him. And you embrace that double obedience, which is imputed to you, and all your sins are imputed to him. And you see, by that double obedience, faith, trusting in him who can do the two things for me and who does do the two things for me that I can never do for myself, pay for my sin and obey the law for me, you see, I can be translated on the grounds of justice into glory, having the blood passport in my hand as I enter through the pearly gates, and I will be welcomed in. I'll be welcomed in. Now it's like going through an airport line. They want to see your passport. They want to see your ticket. As soon as they see it, they say, go ahead. On that great day, if you can say, my only hope is in Christ. My faith is in him, in his double obedience, in his ongoing intercessions. You'll be translated, translated into, into glory. Alexander White, an old Scottish divine, said this, Begin then today, and as long as you are left on earth, a living walk with God as Enoch knew. Walk with him, into whose presence death never came, and in whose whole kingdom no grave is ever dug. You have neglected God until tonight. He's speaking now to unconverted people. But you are not yet dead. Your body is still warm and free. Your soul is still in this church this Sabbath night. You are not yet in hell. God is not yet in anger, said, cut that cumberer down. Instead of that, he is waiting to be gracious to you. Begin to walk with him today. Oh, may God help us this semester to walk with God. You can get straight A's in all your courses, and if you don't walk with God, you get an F with God. You get an F with God. Keep up that close life with God through the means of grace so that you can say throughout this semester with Augustus' top lady, Yea, I to the end shall endure as sure as the earnest is given, more happy but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. So yes, Enoch bypassed the rough door of death. We will have to go through that door if Christ does not come first. But remember this, death has no sting for you if you're in Christ. Its boards may be rough. Passing through the door may cost excruciating pain, even days and nights of tossing on a bed of sickness. But the hinges will spring, and from that door will emerge that spirit that in an instant will be purified of every last stain of sin and all remaining corruption, and you will be made fit, fully fit in an instant for the immediate presence of Enoch's God. And that God, the Son of God, will see no more sin in his Jacob, no more transgression in his Israel. You'll forever be in the reality, the reality of absolute, pure communion with God. So don't use your studies as a substitute for walking with God. Don't play Russian roulette with your never-dying soul. Walk with God by the grace of God, through faith, through obedience, 
through holiness. Let's pray. Gracious God, we need thee so badly. We fall so far short. We thank thee for the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who teaches us the rudiments of walking with thee. But Lord, we would have so much more. Please help us to walk with thee, to walk with thee under sermons, to walk with thee under preparing sermons, to walk with thee in opening the scriptures, to walk with thee in fellowshipping with the saints, to walk with thee throughout our studies. May our studies become sacred exercises for us, but also help us to walk with thee in our marriages, in our families like Enoch, or as singles. Help us to walk with thee in the midst of our friends. Help us to walk with thee in the midst of this uh, seminary. Help us to walk with thee in the totality of our lives. Lord, I want every area of our lives, my life, to be dedicated wholly and solely to thee. Help us then to walk with thee. Until that day comes when our loved ones will say, my husband, my, my dad, my grandpa, my friend, has been translated to walk with God forever in glory. Amen.